And, you know, you don't want to be here two hours every Sunday and, you know, do 85 verses every week. But we're going to do 41 today. And, and that's a stretch, but we'll see. I've got plenty of time. Um, I, my hope is that you're not just now reading the first three chapters, that as you've been reading Acts, you're like, oh, well, I've got to read another chapter. I've got to see what happens next. Because this is the beginning. This is the beginning of the church as we know it today. This is, where, this is why we are who we are and where we are, what we're doing today. Because Jesus said uh, to the disciples, I want you to go and I want you to do this. Peter, it's on you that I'm going to build the church, which is insane if you know anything about Peter. But that's exactly what happens, and we're going to see a little bit of that today. You know, sometimes I also think, wouldn't it be nice to be back when Jesus was alive and be sort of the apostles and the disciples in the first, you know, couple centuries after Jesus was here? Because I'm sure that evangelism would have been a lot easier then than it, than it is today. I mean, right? Um, they walked with Jesus, they talked to Jesus, they, they touched him. Of course that would give them, you know, extra power than what we have today. It would give them extra testimony than what we have today. It would be easier for them, right? I mean, I've, I think that once in a while. I mean, for crying out loud, Jesus controlled the weather. He raised people from the dead. He, he fed people, um, hundreds and thousands of people out of nothing. He did miracles every day. He turned water into wine. It had to be easier. It must have been easy for them to convince people to put their faith and trust in Jesus because he was a, he was a current person. You know, he, he, was, he was recent. And here we are, 2,000 years later, trying to convince people that, that this is true, that it's real. It's so much more difficult today than it was then. But then I start thinking, well, is it really is it really? Um, I mean, Jesus' own family called him crazy at one time, right? I mean, there were people that thought that. that they, the, the, the religious leaders were proclaiming that he was of Satan because, you know, he's casting out demons and he shouldn't be doing this. He's, he's claiming to be God and he shouldn't be. He's, he's claiming things that, that aren't his to claim. They were, they were trying to make excuses, for why he would call himself God. The country itself was embroiled in, in a political mess. I mean, there's power struggles all over the place. Nothing like our current culture, right? No power struggles at all. Not only that, but the Romans, they were an awful lot then. They were hedonistic. Um, there was a, uh, it was at an all-time high. Pleasures in any way, shape, or form were sought. They considered their own leader divine. And it really was a divided area. You had Romans and Jews with a smattering of religious beliefs and ideas, all kinds of philosophies. You've got the Greeks over here, all these ideologies, all these different moralities, just like in our culture today. There were also common men. Um, these disciples that we're going to be talking about today were common men that Jesus had picked to bear the message. So their platform wasn't very high. You know, it's not like they were Tim Tebow or some other famous star, somebody that says, I believe in Jesus and had this experience, and everybody goes, wow, and everybody hears about it. Um, this is, these were common, uneducated men and, and women. 
Um, Not to mention that the religious leaders of the day refused to believe that Jesus was in fact the Messiah and countered their message at every turn. So the established church is saying, no, this isn't true. Jesus wasn't God. He's not the Messiah. And they're still waiting to this day for him to show up the first time. Very much like where we are today. Many people would say that we as Christians, as Christ followers, are narrow-minded or we're unloving and sometimes the things that we do in the sun, and sometimes the things that we say are. Um, why would we say that there are things people should or shouldn't do? Why people ask that? Why would you think that? Um, where is the evidence? If God is real, if Jesus is real, let me see something. Let some miracle happen in my life. Why is there disease? We sang a song today that said that Jesus cures all of our diseases. What does that really mean? It's much deeper than what we might think than just physical healing and, and fixing. And, and some people would say, I'm enjoying my life as it is. Why would I want to surrender my life to Jesus? I mean, that really seems like, you know, you say the narrow road. Well, that seems awfully difficult to me. Why would I want to do that when I'm perfectly fine enjoying the life that I'm enjoying right now? I, in fact, some people would say that, I, that I'm just going to cease to exist when I die. So it's all unnecessary anyway. Let me give you a hint. Just because you don't believe something exists or you don't want to believe it exists doesn't mean it doesn't. But there's a lot of people that say that. Well, if he's genuine in what he believes. Mm, Nope. It comes down to truth. Um, That's why we turn to the Bible, for the truth about life. It's our our yardstick. It's our standard. Um, It's what teaches. So so anyway, today we're moving along to Acts chapter 2. Last week we saw how Jesus prepared the disciples to be the builders of the church. Um, this is the, uh, the very beginning of the church where we sit today. And, and here is where it all started. And, and we saw last week how the disciples were challenged to take their eyes off of themselves and put them on the world. This isn't about you guys. It's not about your freedom as a nation. It's about the good news of Jesus Christ and proclaiming it to the world. Um, and, and we talked about how that's not just geographically, how I can myself be pretty narrow-minded and think of, of what he says in, uh, in chapter 1 uh, when he talks about Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth just being geographical, but it's also it's, it's ethical, it's moral, it's ideologically. When you think of Samaria and the Samaritans and what that people group made up and what they meant to the Jews, those people that were challenged with loving in our own life, those people that were challenged with, uh, with forgiving in our own life because of what they believe or how they act or the decisions that they make or how they spend their money. And so here we sit. Um, these disciples were commanded, as are we, to take the message of the gospel, this good news, this truth about Jesus Christ, to all people in all of the world. And today we're going to see exactly how they were and how we are equipped to do just that. You see, God did what he promised he would do. He sent the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, he's coming. I'm going to leave and the Holy Spirit has come and he did. So turn with me to Acts chapter 2 if you haven't turned there already. And let's look at how this went down on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 1, and I'm going to read verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all gathered together in one place. So the first point this morning is that the power of the Holy Spirit came as promised. God said it's coming. In fact, for centuries, for several thousand years, 
We see it in the Old Testament. God's promised Holy Spirit one day. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. So the first, the first uh, uh, observation that I want to make this morning is that the, the disciples were obedient. They went back to Jerusalem, not to their home. They went back to Jerusalem and they waited. That's what Jesus told them to do. Um, and it says that they were in Jerusalem as they had been commanded. And they were all together this day. Now, most likely it wasn't just the 12 disciples. Um, there, it's likely that there was about 120 believers or disciples. And they're mentioned in Acts chapter 1, verse 15. We didn't go over this, but it says this. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers as they were waiting, a group numbering about 120 they were praying and anticipating what God was going to do. So there's this, this gathering of people, a little bit smaller than what we are in here. And they waited obediently. And obedience is important in our relationship with Jesus Christ because there are things that he commands us to do and there are things that he commands us not to do. And we need to be obedient to those things. I wonder, I kind of wonder, if, if they had not been obedient and they'd gone to Galilee instead of Jerusalem, if they, they would have missed out. But they didn't. They went right where Jesus told them to be, and they waited. Um, so we, ourselves, we need to recognize that we need to, be, that we need to follow in obedience. And, and that obedience can come as a prompting of the Holy Spirit, like these guys experienced. And, and we also see here that the Holy Spirit came with unmistakable power. There is no doubt that this was a supernatural event that's occurring right here. Unmistakable power. And, and, and there was certain evidence also, that God did what he promised he would do. And I want, let's talk about those right now. Suddenly, verse 2, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Now, it wasn't actual wind and it wasn't actual fire because he says it was like suddenly a, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. I mean, when we think of the blowing of a violent wind around here, we think of our hair going everywhere and trees falling over and leaves, which I actually, I wish a couple winds would come and blow them all out of my yard. Um, but it was like this. Now, have you ever been in a place and you heard a noise that you didn't recognize? You know, it just, it was loud or whatever, and you just, this chill goes down your back, and you're like, what was that? That's where these guys were. They're, they're in this place, they're gathered, they're praying, they're worshiping, and all of a sudden, I mean, what if we, sitting in here this morning, we experience the same thing that they did on Pentecost, and all of a sudden we hear this loud sound. Now, sometimes it's the, the sound system, you know, it's, there's this big loud noise that comes, and it's surprising, but no, this wouldn't be from the sound system, it would just be in this room. Something that would sound like a violent wind. And then, and then there's this thing with these tongues of fire. Um, it, it's what it looked like. I don't know. I, you know. I think they were explaining it as best they could. Now, now the power of God often uh, manifested itself in the form of fire at times. You, know, you think of the pillar of, of, of cloud during the day and the fire by night that led the Israelites out of, uh, out of uh, Egypt. But this, this is not a figment of their imagination. They're not hallucinating. They're not seeing things. Um, there isn't some grand movie producer who's put together this incredible light and sound show. This is happening out of thin air. Thin air. Tell me you wouldn't just sort of be freaked out 
at this point, if this happened here today, let's say. Um, and it, but, but it happened right before their eyes. Um, the Holy Spirit has been referred throughout Scripture as, as like a wind, so it would have not been something totally, completely out of the ordinary for them to think. I mean, they're waiting for something, right? God said that, that the Holy Spirit's going to come, that, you're gonna be, that, that John the Baptist baptized with water, that you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You're going to be completely covered and filled. So that's what they were waiting for, and it was happening, and it happened just as Jesus promised. Then verse 4, all of them, it says, were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, so this isn't just happening in their room, in the building that they were in. This sound is happening in lots of places. Now, whether it was the wind or it was them proclaiming the gospel in other languages that people heard. I mean, it's quite a commotion, right? When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Whoa, 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 whoa. We've not heard this before. So the power, point number two in your notes this morning, is that the power of the Holy Spirit was evident to many. Not just those who experienced it, but to all of those around. Now, Pentecost isn't something that only Pentecostalists might believe in. All of us do. Every one of us, as a believer in Jesus Christ, have a personal Pentecost moment. And let me explain to you um, this word Pentecost. Now there's two things. There's, there's, there's really two definitions of the word Pentecost. The first is that it was an actual festival that the, that the Jews celebrated. Um, it was the, the, the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Fruits, as it's also called. Um, it was a festival um, Pentecost is the New Testament word for that festival, and it always occurred at Pentecost, literally means 50 or 5. Um, so Pentecost um, was always this feast, this celebration, um, this feast of weeks, was always celebrated 50 days after Passover. So here we are on, isn't it amazing how God always seems to line up things in, in when he does things with things that were already happening and in the past, it's like he's preparing people. Like, like the Passover, right? And, and, and how God used that to get people out of Egypt and here's the symbol of that and then for years they celebrated Passover and then all of a sudden, aha, there's the Lamb of God fits and so does Pentecost fit with the, the uh, Feast of Weeks. You see, the Feast of Weeks was a celebration of the wheat harvest, something that we might do around here, in fact. Though we typically celebrate the end of wheat harvest. Yay, it's over. Um, and, and just like the Passover was celebrated in remembrance of the Exodus, Pentecost, Pentecost was celebrated in remembrance of the renewal of God's covenant with the people. First with Noah and then with Moses. And they celebrated the Pentecost. Now, the word Pentecost here means to fill. 
It means to fill. Luke says it. All of them were, it says, filled with the Holy Spirit. So they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And the word is used when people are given an initial endowment of the Spirit to get them ready for God's service. When we surrender our life to Jesus Christ, we are filled in that sense with the Holy Spirit. We are given the gift. We each have the Holy Spirit. Some would say that it's only if you've spoken in tongues that it's true that, that we could tell if you have the Holy Spirit in you or not. But, but theologically, biblically, it's true. Paul says it later. Luke refers to it here. We all receive the Holy Spirit upon salvation. Now, there are times of special, I, I believe, a special filling of the Holy Spirit when we, we need a moment in time with some, with maybe a special gift, maybe with a, uh, more boldness that we have. And I think that's also what the apostles are experiencing here when they're speaking in other languages. So we all have the Holy Spirit as our counselor, and we can also um, experience what I guess I would call a boost of the Spirit at times in our life, a special filling at certain times for a specific purpose. Now, the resurrection and the pouring out of the Spirit were the beginning of the church as we know it today. It's the very beginning. It's never been done. This has never been experienced before. The church that we are a part of today, people are changed from the inside out. Uh, we are enabled to be transformed by uh, the, our by the, the, the Bible says to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's only possible through the power of the Holy Spirit in your life and in mine. Um, N.T. Wright says it this way, Pentecost is about God giving to his redeemed people the way of life by which they must now carry out his purposes. This is a reality and one that we need to dwell on. We need to consider this. We need to meditate on this. We need to recognize this truth. We need to rely on it every day. That this power of the Holy Spirit is in me. This, this, this power, uh, it, it enables me to be obedient. It enables me, enables me to bear witness. It enables me to prophesy, which means to proclaim the good news of the gospel in the New Testament. And it enables the hearts of other people to respond in a way that we wouldn't even dream about with the simple message that it feels like we're proclaiming to them. You see, as we're going to see in a little bit, Peter doesn't proclaim any different message than what Jesus has been proclaiming and what all of the disciples have been learning and proclaiming all along. And yet, there's this amazing unleashing of acceptance to this message that they have. Now, um, so, so there's 120 of them. Um, and, and all of the, a lot of the people that are around these disciples, it says they're amazed. Look at verse 7. Utterly amazed, it says. And they ask this question, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that they are speaking in our language if they're, that would be like somebody saying, aren't these guys American? How do they know another language? Right? These people are utterly amazed and they say, aren't all these guys who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Ferga and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from 11 from Rome. Whoops, sorry. I inserted a verse number as a... 
visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, all of these people are hearing the, the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ in their own language. From, honestly, men that had no business in speaking any other language. And it says that some were amazed. They were genuinely interested. And we're going to come across people like that. Where when we, when we are bold and the power of the Holy Spirit's working through us and in their heart, we, we proclaim this good news and there are people who are going to be genuinely interested. Wow, tell me more. I, you might even have somebody say, I have never heard this before. In our country, you may have somebody you come across say, I have never heard this before. You see, we are living in a post-Christian culture just as they were living in a pre-Christian culture. Some of them were uh, uh, genuinely interested, amazed, it says, and perplexed. They asked one another, what does this mean? They knew this was a special event. It was obvious. Maybe they recognized that this was the beginning of something amazing and life-changing. Maybe not. I don't know. And, and, but, but because of the power of the Holy Spirit, they're genuinely asking the question, what does this mean for me? What now? And then, of course, some made fun. Some were like, these guys are drunk. I mean, they're trying to find a, I don't want to say the proper word isn't an, a reasonable explanation, but they're trying to find a I don't know, whatever, you put the word in there. Whatever explanation for this. A justification that they could... I mean, I've seen drunk people before. I've been around them before. And what was coming out of their mouth was not another language. Right? How could you even come to that conclusion? Oh, yeah, these guys are smarter because they've been drinking. No, no, it doesn't happen that way. Far from it. But here, we have these men speaking in a different language. And we can often be accused in our world today of being out of touch, can't we? I mean, it, the, I've been told sometimes I was so heavenly minded that I was of no earthly good. Have you ever heard that? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. No, you see, heaven is for real. It's the real deal. It's eternal. And my Savior, Jesus Christ, was and is who he said he was and is today who he is. He's alive and sitting at the right hand of the Father. Amen. Amen. And right now, I'm calling on the power of the Holy Spirit to enable me not to just proclaim boldly, but effectively. You know, sometimes we can be bold, and it doesn't go over so well. Because that boldness translates to being brash or confrontive or something. Well, I want to be effective as well. What can happen when we surrender our life to Jesus Christ? So the bottom line for us is this. And it's point number three. The power of the Holy Spirit enables our witness. See, we were were charged, we were commanded in Matthew 28 by Jesus himself to go and make disciples, baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that Jesus commanded. That's our charge. That's all of our charge. That's all of our mission. We are all evangelists. So then how do we do it? Because you think, well, I'm not an evangelist. Yes, you are. You may not have the gift of evangelism. But we are all called to be evangelists, and we are empowered by the, the Holy Spirit to do this. Now, this is the crazy part of this to me. 
Uh, again, I, I want you to think about Peter. Peter, Mr. Stick His Foot in His Mouth, right? Peter, Mr. No Way You're Not Washing My Feet. Think of all of those times. Mr. Deny Jesus three times when he promised that he would never, ever do anything like that. I'm with you to the end. And it wasn't the next day. He was, nope, don't know him. Nope. That's what Peter was like before he received the power of the Holy Spirit. What was Peter like after? What was Peter like after? Look at verse, actually, you know what? I, I want you to close your Bibles. Shut your Bibles. I toyed with being creative with this. I'm not going to be creative. I thought about dressing up like a disciple and preaching Peter's message to you because this is the first, this is the first Christian sermon ever preached on the planet. Peter did it. Mr. Stick His Foot in His Mouth preached the first sermon on the planet from a human, apart from the ones that Jesus preached. You know, I mean, he gave lots of messages, but. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and he addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you, who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk. As you suppose, it's only nine in the morning. Why would they be drinking that early in the morning? He's confident in what he's saying. And he's speaking boldly and with authority. Peter Peter. No, he says, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then he goes back to the Old Testament. Think about this. Now, I'm sure he learned lots of the Old Testament in Awana, or back then it would have been, um, it would have been synagogue school, right? Probably committed it all to memory, though he didn't make the cut, except to be called by Jesus. No, he said, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. This is in the book of Joel, a minor prophet, hundreds of years before. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams, even on Uh, Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter says, listen up, y'all. I'm telling you the truth and I'm... I'm laying it straight. Again, Peter. This is what he said God was going to do. Now, here's how he did it. He says, he goes on in verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. You've seen it. You've heard it. You watched it. Jesus did miracles. This man was handed over to you 
by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. You thought you made that dumb decision, and in a sense, you did make the dumb decision, but God knew. God made it happen somehow. He worked all of that out, and with with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. Then God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said this about him. I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. David is obviously not talking about himself when he wrote that. Peter is saying he was talking about Jesus. And here is why. Fellow Israelites, he goes on, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. He has decayed. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. No, God has raised him. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Seen it with our very own eyes. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see in here. We've received it from him. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? What shall we do? And I wonder if that question isn't going around in your head this morning as you hear the message, the first proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ, of who he was and how it happened and what he did. And what happens when we believe, I wonder if not you this morning, your heart is burning inside of you and you wonder, what do I do now? What shall I do? What should I do? This is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. This is what he does. This is the power of God knocking on your heart's door this morning. I mean, you are in the presence of God right now, and he's calling your name. And if you've never said yes to him, he continues to knock and call and knock and call. You're in the presence of God right now, and he's calling your name. And if you feel it, you know it. What shall I do, you might be thinking. What shall I do? What shall I do? You might be sitting here and and there's 
bad decisions you've made in your past. There were, there were people there gathered, I'm sure, who believed that Jesus was the Messiah, yet they too were cut to the heart and, and, and were asking the same question, what shall I do? Now, grab that Connect card that I had you tear off earlier, and I, I want you to see that under my next steps, there's, there's two things. There's the, yeah, I'll memorize the memory verse, and then there's two, two things. First of all, I, I want you to, to commit to thinking about the reality of the Holy Spirit in your life this week. I mean, have you seen things in your life that you could identify that said, you know what, this was the power of the Holy Spirit working in my life. If you can't identify those things, then you need to take a step back and say, where is the Holy Spirit in my life? How is the Holy Spirit manifesting himself in my everyday life? And say, God, I want you to show me. Meditate on that this week. Maybe, maybe, maybe all along you've thought going to church has made you a Christian and that you're going to go to heaven because you go to church all the time. That's not true. What shall I do? If you would commit to praying consistently this week for a better understanding of what part the Holy Spirit has in your life, check mark that one. If you're sitting here right now and you're genuinely asking, what shall I do? I don't know. I want you to be honest with yourself. If you're thinking that, mark it. And, and if I could ask you to be so bold, take that when you're done and you can sort of try and do it in stealth maybe or put it in the black box out there. Mark that. We'll pray for you. We'll, we'll, I would love to visit with you about this. I would love to visit, visit with you about this. Um, if, if you have specific questions, jot them down on that card before you put it in the box, and we'll get a hold of you this week. And, and maybe this will help as well, because here's, here's what Peter said. Here's what Peter said. Peter says this, Repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. He's talking about us. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now, as we said earlier, it's not any harder for us today than it was for them. But the power of the Holy Spirit was working. They waited for it, God gave it, and then they proclaimed it. And I, what I'm asking us to do this week is to, is to pray for an understanding and for maybe, maybe we each need a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. Maybe, maybe the Christian life has just kind of become ho-hum and, you know, we go to church and we help out here and there. But really, when it comes down to it, I'm the one that's making all of the changes and the transformations in my own life. Um, it's not things that I could point to that would say, oh, gosh, God is definitely working in my life. If he's not, surrender yourself to his spirit. Meditate on the spirit this week and then... And then as your eyes are opened to what he's really done in your life and what he can do in the lives of other people, then we will begin to step out and we will, um, as we go 
continue through this, we're going to, uh, you know, my hope and prayer is that you will sort of learn the truth of what Peter just, it doesn't get any clearer than that. Honestly, it doesn't. That's who Jesus was. This is what happened to him. This is who he is now. And when we believe, when we confess, when we surrender to him, we will be saved. Then we get baptized, and then this gradual transformation and journey with him begins and continues until we die. And then we're with him for all of eternity. I can't wait. I can't wait. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for, for how you tell us through Luke how who we are and what we are today began several thousand years ago. And I pray, Father, that we would truly understand the power that is within us. And that we wouldn't seek to use that power for selfish reasons and as the disciples kind of were thinking in chapter 1, but Father, that we would truly understand that it is not about us, it is all about you. And as we sing this final song today before we're dismissed, Father, I pray that that would be the attitude of our heart, that, that it is about you. And may we serve you and may we see through the power of the Holy Spirit in today's culture. Change the hearts and minds of people in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us, please?